You're listening to The Itch, Rock Matters, and this is episode number eight. My name is Casey. My name is Dan. And I am Aaron. And we have some good news this week, guys. I don't know if you've been following along too awfully much, but uh, in our interview with Deftones drummer Abe Cunningham, he confirmed that they are in the process of finishing up uh, their ninth studio album. And it's not a promise. There's not a title or track listing or anything like that. But there was sort of a, a vague idea that they were going to shoot for September as a release for that. And that is very exciting. That's super exciting. I love the Deftones. I will admit that their last album was not my favorite. Uh, so I'm looking for forward to them hopefully bouncing back and, and coming out with another exceptional album. Hopefully more along the lines of, uh, well, the one we're, we're going to talk about or my favorite Deftones album of all time, Diamond Eyes. Yeah, and it's definitely good news considering, you know, like we've been talking about in previous episodes, that uh, it's hard to tell how many albums are actually going to come out at the end of the year. Oh, man. But put it this way. If the Deftones put out an album this year, I'm almost guaranteed that's top five, top three on our list just by virtue of existing. Probably. Granted, I am I am kind of with Dan on on not loving their last album. But there's good news on this one is that uh, for the new one, they've they've reconnected with their producer. His name is Terry Date, and he produced the first four Deftones albums, which is not a bad resume at all to have a journal in around the fur white pony and that self-titled album. I don't think he has diamond eyes to his credit. So but still. Yeah. And like you said, those first four Deftone albums were the reason why I fell in love with this band. And it's funny because most people are not a huge fan of the self-titled album. That's actually one of my favorite Deftone albums. I'm a fan. They're a band that, like I said, I kind of agree with you. Gore really just at no point has done much for me. And I've tried to go back and give it more chances, but it just wasn't working. But when I look at at the self-titled album, you've got Minerva is a phenomenal song. Battle Axe. Death Blow. There's a, a, a number of, of high quality pieces of work on there. And so I don't see how they couldn't you couldn't give that album some love. So, yeah, there's there's good news on that front. Exciting. As we have bemoaned in previous episodes, the lack comparatively to previous years of new quality rock albums coming out. And then the Deftones are like, oh, hey, we uh, we heard you talking and uh, <laughs> we got something to let you know. And there was also a hint. I don't know if you guys are too familiar with this. The we'll call it the Lost Deftones album, Eros. Are you oh, familiar yeah. with that one? Yes, yeah. I am. It's the album they were working on with Chi before his accident. Yeah. And so due to that accident, that album was never released. They shelved it. And, and the idea was, OK, we're going to come back to this later whenever he's recovered. And tragically, since he didn't recover, it remains sort of this mythical thing that does exist, but is not complete and has never been released to the public. And again, kind of light news. It's not like anybody has confirmed anything is going on with this, but that topic did come up in, in these, these interviews with the Deftones recently. And they kind of said what they've said before, which is it's not come out because it's not that good. It's not, it wasn't done. We were just in the process of putting stuff together. It's not a finished product, but they did at least hint at the possibility that, you know, or possibly they were just thinking out loud of, you know, maybe it could come out someday in the form of like an EP. Maybe they call sort of the the most complete tracks and, and put the final touches on those, the, the best of what they were working on or something. So to me, that would be super exciting as well to hear uh, Chi's last work with them and that project that was meant to be, but but never got to come to completion. That would be an EP that I would actually enjoy because I would feel like it would be a tribute to Chi. Uh, for mm-hmm. one, the dude had probably the coolest freaking name in all of rock. His name was Chi Ching. Chi Ching. But yeah, he was incredible. And, and Deftones is a band that up until this happened, they were all the original members in this band. They had not changed members at all up until this accident, which is very rare for a band nowadays to uh, have consistent lineup for what, 10, 15 years? Yeah, almost 20 years, actually. Yeah, he was with them from their debut in Adrenaline in 95 to um, his accident in 08. 
and the rest of the band has remained the same that entire time. So there's definitely something cool about a band that manages to stick together. There's not many that do it. That's almost impossible to find one. Yeah, discussing the rock bands that have maintained their lineup, I think the biggest one that comes to mind to me right now is U2. I want to say I read a few years ago somewhere that 311 actually was, uh, as far as like notable big bands, one of the the longest um, maintained the entire same lineup bands, which kind of surprised me. But yeah, yeah, you just generally just I think the point here is kudos to bands that can pull that off. Well, especially because, I mean, you're going on tour a lot. You're in a small, tight quarters with, uh, you know, with these guys for a long time. It definitely can be hard to uh, fit that many personalities into, you know, such small quarters, especially if like you have a, a lot of big egos, too. Oh, yeah. And and artistic. There's creative differences. Yes. The album that we're, we're going to talk about in here in a minute. Um, one of the things that was going on during the making of that was that Chino and Stephen Carpenter, the Deftones guitarist, were butting heads a lot because Stephen wanted to keep making heavy stuff like in line with their previous albums. And Chino wanted to get more exploratory. And so Chino was like, listen, I wasn't going to force him to do something he didn't want. But over time, he sort of came around. And so but that caused, you know, some friction and probably a little bit of delay. But there is also, I guess. I mean, given the um, epicness and the importance of White Pony, sometimes that conflict can uh, actually lead to good things. <laughs> That's really funny that you say that because I've always known Stephen Carpenter every time. He's one of my favorite, favorite people in all of music because he just doesn't care. He doesn't give a crap about what people think about him. <laughs> to me, I, I love that. Like, that's that's my motto in life. Like, I don't really care what people think about me. I, I, I have my own opinion about myself, and that's all that matters. This dude always walks around with, like, a joint in his mouth, doesn't care. It's not even, it wasn't even legal uh, by the time, you know, <laughs> when, and so, like, taking pictures, he's always had, like, a joint in his mouth. He's always blowing out weed smoke. And it's just funny because I'm kind of, now that you say that, I'm really kind of curious if he was like, if, if Tina was like, hey, man, just smoke a joint and relax, all right? And we'll, we're going to play a little bit more mellow stuff. And then that was, <laughs> and that was the, in that form, the Stephen Carpenter we all know today. <laughs> it's a theory, I guess. I, I don't know. That's my theory. I'm sticking to it. He's sticking to this theory. Sometimes you got to imagine your own mythology of your favorite bands. That's right. Or my favorite people. Like, yeah. Stephen Carpenter, I would love to meet the dude. He's just, like I said, he just seems like he just doesn't care. He's, he's out there to do what he does. And he doesn't care what people think. And I love that. I respect that to no end. I think it really validates your point to anyone listening. If you want to go to Wikipedia and look up Stephen Carpenter, the image that that someone has used to represent him on Wikipedia, I think um, I think it speaks for itself. I'll give you give you a second here to <laughs> figure that out. Yeah, Dan just found it. See, I was looking at this already, too. <laughs> so everybody can pause for a minute and get a good laugh at that. And then we'll we'll carry on here. But yeah, so good news, Deftones coming out with new music, hopefully this year, um, which we will absolutely be talking about, you know, the moment it's in our hands or our computer. And in the meantime, we are celebrating this week, um, not only that good news, but the fact that that news is timely because we were already planning to discuss the 20th anniversary of the release of White Pony. It uh, came out on June 20th, the year 2000, and it was a game changer i feel like for the the genre and for that band yeah it's easy to to look back at it with uh 2020 hindsight (laughs) 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 but yeah it's it's definitely what uh spearheaded the way that they sound today so is is that his first pun of the podcast oh man oh probably not of the of the podcast but (laughs) that's close i don't remember you making one yet (laughs) so go on note it took like it took like two tries to really to get him there but i think we've i think we've got him he's in now we can get him (laughs) if we can get if we can get casey locked in 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 all puns i'm pretty sure our listenership will like quadruple overnight if (laughs) if we can get that But yeah, it definitely uh, spearheaded the the way that they sound today because of uh, Frank Delgado becoming a full-time member. So so Frank Delgado was sort of an unofficial, perhaps part-time member of Deftones for Adrenaline and Around the Fur, and then was, was officially initiated as a full-timer in the band 
prior to White Pony. And I think in addition to, as Chino was discussing, his own interest in singing more and exploring kind of weird sounds, having yourself a keyboardist and a, and a turntablist on staff, as it were, was, was a move that, that changed things for the Deftones and um, really enabled them to branch out their sound from what it had been previously. Definitely. I agree with that. And I think that that was also kind of a sign of the time, too, because I think at the time, uh, bands like Limp Bizkit were getting big, uh, Linkin Park. So a lot of these rock bands were coming up and they all featured DJs. And I think it was just kind of how rock music was going. And I think that they kind of wanted to you know, play along with the trend. But I honestly think that Deftones did it a lot better than than most bands with the addition and how they, you know, not only incorporated that in the in the album but it still sounds great live too it's not a lot of sampling it's it's uh, it's kind of more background more of a seamless transition yes correct yeah he feels like a, a piece of that atmosphere that they create more than more than a gimmick or like a the forefront like a show-off part of the band yeah so it's it's funny that you mentioned that is the state of of music was the very late 90s around turning into 2000 you had the rise of this this new metal and this rap rock. This was during a time when when Limp Biscuit and Corn, Lincoln Park, POD was Head PE. Yeah, you had some of these bands on like Total Request Live, and they were huge. Freak on a Leash and uh, like Southtown and Alive, Rock the Party. I remember seeing the video of that on TRL for months. Oh yeah, yeah, all the POD and and you know Limp Biscuit doing their thing and. That was a huge, a huge moment. And so Deftones were like adjacent to that sound. You know, they were heavy and, and kind of wild, probably good for, you know, like skater music. But they felt a little more authentic maybe than some of those sounds did at, at different times. It's, it's funny that you bring that up because the big masterpiece single from this album is is Change in the House of Flies. And it's a beautiful song to this day. The, the video is phenomenal. But what had happened with the band was at this time period, you had your Limp Bizkit and your Papa Roach and your Linkin Park coming out and their record label Maverick didn't think that there was a strong enough second single to release after change. So they were pressuring the band to basically put up, give them something that sounded more like a Papa Roach or a Linkin Park. These are they're like these bands are selling millions and millions of records right now. And don't get me wrong. Deftones was selling and this album charted it peaked at number three on the billboard charts it was it was a huge thing for them but it was still nothing compared to what those bands were doing so they basically were like we need you to make a rap rock song and chino was like don't really want to do that kind of over that style at this point but what happened was they they pretty much just nagged him and told him i was listening to an, reading an interview with him and he discussed how they, they pointed out how good the chorus was on pink maggot which is the last track on the album and that, you know, that chorus would fit great on a three minute song. And so finally Chino was just like, you know what? Fine. He's like, I know how to write a formulaic song, so I'm going to do that. And <laughs> that song became back to school, the mini maggot as it were. And it's the rappiest that Chino ever gets. <laughs> uh, I know Dan has some opinions about that song. We can, I want to hear in a minute here. I'll note that for my opinion on it, Chino isn't the worst rapper, which kind of surprised me, even though that definitely isn't the Deftone style. And though I do really like the song, and it's one of the first Deftone songs I remember, I definitely can acknowledge that it's the most dated sounding because it does feel like them trying to hop on a trend rather than being true to themselves. And it's a weird choice to lead off the album because they they re-released White Pony and stuck it at the beginning of the album. and um, it, just because it's so different than their other songs, it just doesn't feel quite right. So it's one of those things where like in a vacuum, I actually really like Back to School. If I were Deftones, I would totally understand the the rationale of not wanting that song to even exist. It's really funny because I, I think it, it goes to show how much power record companies had back then. Do you think that nowadays if a record company was like, oh, we need you to make a song and it needs to be released so we can get another single. Bands won't care. They're like, hey, we already released it online anyway. And actually, that kind of happened with this album. And one of the things I, I, I kind of respect about this, because we talked about it with the Red EP, 
you know, this was really one of the kind of the first albums, at least in my memory, that was re-released just because they added one more song. And he's actually quoted saying that, uh, you know, they're not happy with re-releasing the album. The band negotiated to have Back to School made available as a free download for anyone who had already bought the original album. Moreno noted that everybody's already downloaded our record before it came out anyway. Otherwise, it'd be kind of feeling like, man, why are we putting out all these different versions of the record? And so that's the best way we can actually get this song out to people who already purchased this record for basically free and they want to buy the record again. It's cool. So like that's I, I think that was awesome because that was like right around the time of Napster and everybody was downloading all kinds of music anyway, you know, before Metallica went on their power trip. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it's it was kind of nice for them to acknowledge that pretty much already everybody already had this anyway, but they didn't want to make it to where people had to buy that album just to get that song. And I, I respect that because at the time, you know, other than downloading the songs and ripping them like that, there wasn't really a, a way to just get one song off of an album. And now that's all you can do. Exactly. <laughs> I also think too, that they were hanging around big bands like corn, like Limp Bizkit. They I'm almost positive. They were, you know, that was a huge California scene. And like you said, POD, they were all these West coast bands and they were all friends with each other. And I think that he wanted to, and I could be completely wrong. This is just my assumption, but I think that they try, were trying to at least just go their own way and not try to sound like everybody else with this album. And, and he did kind of say something like that too, that, you know, we wanted to make the record that we wanted to make. And, and it, I, I love when artists have that freedom to do what they want to do. And it's, it shows, I think, you know, if they would have done what the record company would have done, we wouldn't be talking about this album 20 years later. Yeah, that's very true. I respect them a lot for for that commitment to artistry, which kind of comes out in a few different things you just said. One being the idea that they recognized like, hey, it's a little disingenuous to try to get our fans to rebuy the album they already bought. We don't really want to be part of that. And granted, it, it sounds more like they didn't have a choice because this was definitely during the time where the album record labels had a lot of control and power. So they kind of had to go along with it reluctantly. And yeah, I don't know, that may have been the the beginning of that trend that still continues to this day of it's, it's a marketing ploy. It's you, you put out an album and then you put it out again with some bonus tracks and this and that you make exclusive tracks for, for best buy and for target. And, oh, and there's also an exclusive bonus track on the Japanese version. Yeah. It's hard to collect <laughs> the entire album. And, and uh, I, I mean, I don't know if this was truly one of the first, but I, it does ring a bell that that's when I personally recall starting to see that happen more often. And, and this is a prime example. Like we just said, the label literally told them, like, we need you to make a song that sounds like this because we don't think there's anything else that's marketable after change. And so we need something to keep selling this. And so I don't know. I, I, it's a tough spot to be put in. But I, and I appreciate the Deftones commitment to the artistry of being like, we actually put together an album that we find fantastic just as it is, you know, we stand by these songs. We stand by the track order we created. We really don't want you messing with it. <laughs> and it got messed with. And, uh, you know, to the label's credit, I su suppose Back to School was a pretty big hit, too. It probably raised Deftone's profile. It, it didn't seem like it did harm for the band. And so maybe all's well that ends well on that. Here's a question I've, I've got for you guys. I have a little thought exercise because I like to do these once in a while. Um, <laughs> so the, the Maverick executive said, you know, we love change, which, by the way, making your big single track 10 on an 11 track album is a bold move and not a thing that many bands do. So kudos for that. They're like, we don't see that there's another good single here. My question to you guys, if it were your choice, you're picking the second single off of White Pony without creating a new track. Which one do you go with? It would be pretty easy for me. It would have been Digital Bath. Yeah, I would, I would say either Digital Bath or possibly Knife Party, but... I'm with you on Digital Bath. It's a, such a different sound than most of the others. And I don't know that poppy is the word, but there is something accessible about it, even in its creepiness. I also wanted to kind of touch base on something else you said. So it's really funny that you mentioned that you didn't know that Chino was a good rapper. He was actually featured on a song from Korn's second album, Life is Peachy. The song is called Wicked. And that song, he just throws it down. Like, it's incredible. If you get a chance to listen to that. That's definitely going on our playlist this week, the Spotify playlist, because it's that's when I got first introduced to Chino. I was a corn fan first, um, and then hearing him on this song kind of got me interested in two Deftones. 
this was in 96 was uh, it was released. I, I didn't really get into corn until about 97, 98, which is like right around the time that around the fur just came out. And that's when I got into Deftones because of, you know, my own summer, shove it, be quiet and drive far away. Uh, those were great songs that hooked me. And then when they released white pony, I was, I was stuck. Like this was became one of my favorite bands real quick. By the by side note, my own summer and be quiet and drive to this day remain the Deftones two most played live songs. And I believe change is actually number three. And with good reason, those are phenomenal songs. I was listening to change earlier today and just kind of marveling at like how perfect it is like in its construction. It's just I was thinking just a minute ago as you're saying that, like at first I was kind of thinking and laughing a little bit like, hey, maybe Chino missed his calling as a rapper. But man, the dude is for one, he's a great screamer, which well, that's my recollection of Adrenaline and Around the Fur. Aside from those two big songs I just mentioned, a lot of kind of barking, yelping, screaming stuff. But then he comes to White Pony and he's like, you know, I really want to lean in more to the singing part. And so each of the tracks on that album is unique and you definitely get plenty of screaming and, and the heaviness. But then you get to hear his voice and the man is just so multi-talented in that. And they're, the way that they branched out their sound, you go from a guy that was recording songs with Korn and being lumped into this like new metal category that they probably didn't really fit in and definitely didn't really want to necessarily be lumped in not as an insult to the other bands it just wasn't who they were and then you appear and put out an album like white pony which i could i might argue in some ways is almost closer to like a heavy radio head than it is actually corn because of the way they do this sonic stuff and the way that the album is like meant to be an experience wearing headphones the glitches the the strange sounds in the background and all of this atmosphere that they add that really set them apart yeah, just adding the DJ to the band gives them that different sound that they didn't have on their previous albums. And it's funny that you mentioned Radiohead because I've read similar articles that refer to Deftones as the metal Radiohead. <laughs> I would say it's either that. Um, I or Also, I know that they were, and, and this is a band that obviously influences Radiohead as well, but they were influenced by Pink Floyd as well in terms of the way they went with with different soundscapes. That makes sense. You know, the, the strange noises and the effects. Yeah. And it really makes for a cool experience as you listen to this album and the ones in the future, because White Pony really does feel like, I listened to it a few times this week to sort of refresh my memory. Um, and, and the first time I listened to it, I was like, you know, honestly, this might be overrated. I think I only like about half of these songs. But then when I listened to it more again, I was like, these, it, it all flows and fits so nicely together. And there is a unique personality to more or less every track. And the way that they, they juxtapose some of the heavy, like more violent stuff, which I, I love violent deftones with leaning into the almost gentle. It's just like the whisper screaming type stuff. Yeah. Speaking of violent Deftones, one of the most violent Deftones song I can think of is on this album by the name of Digital Path. <laughs> lyrically violent. Yes. Not musically violent, but lyrically violent, which makes it that much crazier because that song also is just so like beautiful musically until you start <laughs> paying attention to what he's talking about. <laughs> and and that was what he was going for. It, it is. I'll let you handle that one, but yeah. <laughs> it is definitely beautiful because it's basically a song about uh, electrocuting somebody, a female, in the bathtub. Uh, and so I have a funny story about this. Uh, and <laughs> A funny story about electrocuting a female in the bathtub? Yeah, yes. that's not a funny story. That's murder. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> no, but... Um, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, so back in... Um, you know, back before I started college, I had just moved to a different city. I didn't know people. And one of the ways at that time to meet people, which was terrible, if you think about it, was AIM, uh, AOL Instant Message. And so <laughs> I did. I, I met a couple of people through AOL Instant Message, and I became friends with them in my new city. Well, lo and behold, one of these people was female, and she, uh, well, she, she liked me. She liked me a lot. Uh, she liked me too much. Um, 
<laughs> she basically started stalking me uh, in, in the sense that like she was making up stories about us and, and all kinds of other crazy stuff and just not leaving me alone. And I tried everything to get rid of her. I mean, everything. I dated her best friend to try to get rid of her, and she still would not stop. So finally... <laughs> She called in one day to our radio show and she said, hey, I'm listening. Would you dedicate a song to me? And by this time, I was done. I was done. I was tired of her calling in. I was tired of her being in my life. And I didn't know how else to make it clear. So when I came on the air, I said, oh, this, I don't even remember her name at this point. Um, <laughs> that's not a bad thing. So I came on the air and I said, oh, so and so called in. I'm really glad that you're listening. I have the perfect song I've been wanting to dedicate to you. Uh, so I hope you really listen to the song and take it as it is. And I said, this is Deftones with Digital Path. <laughs> <laughs> and lo and behold, never, ever, ever did I hear from her again. It was great. Thank you, Deftones. <laughs> yes, thank you, Deftones. I appreciate you getting rid of my stalker for me. <laughs> Greatest non-breakup story ever. <laughs> And true, 100% true. I am not making that up. Casey can attest to that. I, I can attest to it as well. You've told this story before. We've had some crazy stories at the radio show, and that that's one of the, probably the top five. Definitely. Pro-relationship advice from Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that relationship took work. <laughs> Most relationships take work to maintain. That one took work to end. Yes. Because only one of you was down with it ending. Well, you know, it hadn't begun, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> but man, <laughs> it was funny because I was also reading Chino's story about Digital Bath. And it's just such a perfectly crafted song, even down to you. If you, you listen carefully, you hear this whispering in the background of it. But he said he just he that story of what's going on there was was just based on basically a fleeting thought that went through his head. And, and later on, he went back and, and thought about it. He was like, this is such a cool song. He's like, but why did I even write that? <laughs> like, what was I thinking? I mean, if we're being honest, our minds probably all go to weird places occasionally, even just for a split second that we don't really talk about or that we don't, you know, want the world to know. And so to Chino's credit, he did what most people don't do, and he committed it to song for the world to hear. Here was a weird fleeting thought that I had, not something I would ever truly do, but since it went through my head, I, for whatever reason, decided it would make a good song. And he wasn't wrong. It's interesting that you mentioned that he just kind of made up storylines because he's quoted as saying that he completely took himself out of like himself in the songs and he just kind of came up with a bunch of stories with dialogue. Yeah, I read that too. So tying what we were talking about with Digital Bath back into another song on the album, you said earlier that he took himself out of the album. You have a song like Digital Bath that was basically about him, well, killing another person, another female, I believe. Yeah. And then you have almost on the flip side, the 180 degree side of that, Passenger, which is about a woman taking him to places he's never been. And not, not just, you know, geographical places, metaphorical places. We, we know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to throw that out there. But Passenger Man, speaking of some some quality uh, guest appearances. Yeah. To get Maynard James Keenan in there for a track. I'm always nervous whenever big um, voices kind of merge on songs together because you never can be entirely sure how well they'll blend. Like, do these guys actually match together? And some some great, you know, really big rock bands. That's part of their appeal. Like you go back to like a Linkin Park and Shinoda's rapping mixed with Chester screaming and singing worked for that band and made them superstars. So I guess my question is like, the answer seems pretty obvious, but I'll ask it anyway. Does Maynard work with the Deftones on Passenger? Absolutely. I think they're opposite singing styles because, you know, yeah, Chino's kind of short, breathy type of singer and, and Maynard's a, a big, I don't know what you call it in particular, but a, a big, you know, he's got powerful lungs. He's, he can hold a note forever. A powerhouse. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of lobbing a softball there. I knew the answer, but I wanted to, I wanted to get into it anyway. <laughs> and so, no, I actually think this is one of the best uh, duos because of how well their voices complement each other. 
and sometimes like if you're not familiar with either artist, you probably wouldn't even sometimes know that it's two different people singing. Right. Here's one to that point, uh, a track that grew on me even more because you know, obviously I've heard, we've all heard this album and it's been around 20 years, obviously. So that's uh, given us plenty of time. But I was like I said, I was kind of refamiliarizing myself with it because it had been a while. And uh, the song RX Queen stuck out to me on further listens, particularly this weird like tin trash can percussion sounding outro it has <laughs> but speaking of guest performances do you know that there is an uncredited background vocalist on that track no that's part one of the question so you didn't know that guy was there no he must have blended in way more than i would have thought because that song features scott wyland <laughs> he's good at that blending in on backgrounds because he also was featured in a limp biscuit song called nobody like you featuring jonathan davis and scott wyland and honestly, if I didn't know that Scott Weiland was in the credits, I wouldn't have known he was in the song. He really does a great job with this Deftones track in that because I once I discovered that that was him, I listened more carefully and I was like, OK, now I do recognize that this backing vocal, beautiful voice as it is. And as Scott Weiland had, it's not Chino, but it really is complimenting Chino really well. But if I wasn't listening carefully, it might have just passed and I wouldn't have thought twice about it. Or maybe I would have just presumed it was you know, somebody else in the band doing a little, you know, supplemental background vocal work. I've listened to this album probably thousands of times, and I honestly could tell you I I, I didn't even know that was that he was on it still to this day. This seems like they just kind of slid that one in there because what he does isn't nearly as prominent as what Maynard does. It, it really is sort of a backing, uh, almost echoing vocal on a part of the song. And so it's not like he gets a verse or anything prominent. And so I, I could kind of see why it might not might not be a big deal to announce that. But, you know, kudos to them for getting Maynard and Scott Weiland. Those are big gets, especially at that time. Really, I would say that probably as both of those bands' heydays was the end of the 90s in terms of, of pure popularity. This tool and STP, as, that, as it were. Yeah, that was right around the time that Stuntable Pilots was about to break up, I think, because of uh, drug use. And then um, right. he started kind of playing around with Velvet Revolver. Um, was it Velvet Revolver? Yeah. Yeah. Velvet yeah. Revolver. So, yeah, this album, it really seemed like a game changer for the band and for the, the genre. I think about a lot of the bands that they were being compared to. And the bigger name ones that we mentioned, you know, Corn is still active. Lincoln Park was still a big thing until Chester's unfortunate passing. And they may still be again to someday. And Papa Roach has really turned into some troopers who just keep. They really are like roaches. They just keep showing back up and surviving through stuff. I'd never <laughs> thought about that before. <laughs> Papa Roach is one of the greatest bands of our time at at playing to whatever the trend is and making it their own. Like that is just what they do. They are like chameleons. They're rock chameleons. They're adapters. Yeah. Yes. And and so, but I think of so many other bands that were in that like new metal genre, and even bands that most of us probably will admit to still liking today, but there's not that many that have survived <laughs> and survived. And yet Deftones come out here and they are still people that announcement that they're making new music is is very newsworthy. It's a big deal when they come out with stuff. And so man just it's so cool to see a band that could come into their own to to leave behind that tag that they initially got, start incorporating some different style styles and sounds. And they just they've always been more adventurous, maybe, I guess, than a lot of their peers, especially at that time. And I think that that really has served them well in carving out a long career. And they've influenced so many bands and styles that came after them as well. Well, and I also think that staying together as a band has assisted in maintaining that career and, and all the aforementioned bands you just stated that's been the case for them the you know the one band that you didn't mention uh which i actually am still a closet fan of limp biscuit they had issues with west borland leaving once west borland left and they they tried to replace him i think that's really what killed their fan base and then even when, in west borland coming back to the band couldn't couldn't make up for how they disappointed so many other fans with with that album. And they were already at a disadvantage because Fred Durst was such an unlikable guy. But yeah, yeah it doesn't help when your lead singer is a jerk. Um, I'm pretty sure Guns N' Roses can attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> among other bands. Yes, among a lot of other bands. 
can I sidetrack into a, a super brief? This was just something that I remember hearing ages ago. You, you mentioned Guns N' Roses, and it made me laugh. So Chinese democracy, speaking of albums of legend, <laughs> was something that allegedly Guns N' Roses was working on for, what was it, like 12 years or something? Yeah, at least. Yeah. There was a rumor somewhere in the middle of that that the offspring had joked, had threatened, rather, that they were going to record an album called Chinese Democracy, You Snooze, You Lose. <laughs> Just to have some fun at the expense of Guns N' Roses. It obviously didn't happen, but every time I hear the name Guns N' Roses, I think of that, and right. it makes me laugh. So we're getting way off track, but that was, yeah. So that's a fun side story people can enjoy. But yeah, I think this is the point there, and, and maybe that speaks to what you're saying about consistency of staying together. You know, Limp Bizkit's obviously had major rough patches of losing band members and stuff. Corn uh, is well-documented with head leaving and coming back, and they've maintained a presence. But, but um, during the time that Monkey and Head left, their bands, and, and, and I personally feel their albums were definitely not as strong. Once they returned, I think that their albums have gotten 10 times better. Right. And I, and I think, again, I think you can uh, maybe attest to the, to the Deftones for that, because I was thinking, you know, more of these bands that I'm comparing them to from that time period. P.O.D., in my opinion, anyway, never recovered from losing Marcos, their guitarist, even when he came back. I think the damage was done to their career. Well, I would say for sure that the damage was done to their career in terms of mainstream popularity. Your mileage may vary about whether the albums they've released since then are good. I was going to disagree with you on that, actually. Yeah, because I really like the album that he came back for. <laughs> and that's fine. But but the point being that that P.O.D. isn't a band that people are still talking about like they are Deftones. Yeah, they're far lower profile these days than they once were. And so I definitely think we could attribute some of that to um, the consistency of the band staying together. And then a, definitely a huge portion of it just to their the Deftones willingness to or interest in being um, ambitious and trying different things like a you know a, a hard rock like a hardcore like metal band or whatever you want to call them that incorporates almost smashing pumpkinsy shoegaze stuff or like weird trip-hop beats and quirky pink floydy sound effects in the background like they created something that really made them stand out and it was like i said it served them well though i've got one more story about the recording of this album that i thought was quite entertaining um, which is that while they were recording it the the band rented a house in Hollywood Hills that was supposedly haunted. Um, and so they were already having a little bit of the heebie-jeebies about being there. And I know I read that, that Chino said he had talked to uh, the guys from Orgy who had also stayed in that place when they were recording. And they were like, yeah, so did you, uh, did you see anything? Because we saw some things. And Chino was like, I don't, I don't know. And then one night he he saw he saw what he presumed was a ghost. And it really freaked him out. And so he moved out and lived in a hotel for the rest of the recording sessions. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think that's so fantastic to hear. I think when the Deftones say, oh, we recorded that while living in a haunted house. And then I think about the noises in change. And I'm like, that just sounds so like ghosty. Like <laughs> it, they, they somehow managed to to take that even, it seems like into their sound on that album. Do you know, does that make sense? Yeah, I agree completely. Cause I've always thought that kind of about RX queen too. That it's just like yeah. there's some weird noises in there. You're like, what? It sounds like the album is a little bit haunted even. <laughs> yeah, man. So, but, but the album was just, just a great piece of work. Like I mentioned before it, it was their highest um, chart on the billboard charts. It went platinum which at that point was still a thing that you could do now, not so much with albums as much. It gave them, you know, change and, and as one of their trademark songs, do you know, they even got a Grammy for best metal performance for the track elite. I was going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. That's one track we haven't talked about yet. And that's actually the one that they won a Grammy for. So how awesome is that? You know, that's just, it blew them into the mainstream. And it's just, it worked. And now they've had this long and profitable career. I do I do need to apologize for one thing. I, I had made a note to myself that I really wanted to refer to the band as the Deft Ones this entire time. <laughs> and I didn't do it. And so you're welcome, because that probably would have been annoying. But there's still a little part of me that wishes I'd have done it. <laughs> it would have totally been annoying. <laughs> so you had mentioned earlier about how um, their first four albums were produced by the same guy. 
and you know they kind of had their own sound um and their sound did definitely change before saturday night at risk but before saturday night at risk they also released an album called b-sides and rarities and i remember this album was being i remember this album was kind of huge for the itch because we got our hands on it and we were one we were so proud that we were able to play stuff that was not being played on the radio and not only that but deftones is it's just a fantastic band at covering songs one of my favorites um they they cover a lot of good songs especially on this album but uh the chauffeur is probably by and far my favorite cover song of deftones it's a duran duran cover um they do a great job of covering wax and wayne as well as Mm -hmm. well you know savory is another fantastic cover but right around the time that this was released a band a little band uh at the time i will say a little band at the time uh had released a cover of simple man and that one was blowing up everywhere and the, the band was <laughs> called shine down um i hmm. say little band at the time because it was on their first album and it was you know their first single was 45 their second single was their cover of simple man and deftones came out with a cover of simple man right around the same time and i absolutely love deftones cover 20 million times better because i think that it's kind of goes to what we were talking about before with, you know, before, you know, Shinedown didn't change the song too much. They just kind of put their own little twang on it, uh, made it acoustic and then played it. And then every time you see them live, they play it. And it's just annoying because it just goes on forever and ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when Deftones covered it, they they made it their own. This song, their cover of Simple Man sounds like something you could hear or even picture being on White Pony. So that kind of brings me to another point, you know, with all these covers that we just mentioned, like, oh, another cover of Sinatra, which they didn't really change that one. But I mean, there's several, several great covers on this album. So Deftones is is probably one of my favorite cover bands. I have two others that I I will mention in in a little bit, but I wanted to ask you guys. So do you have a band that you just absolutely love when they cover a song? Because you know that when they cover a song, they're going to kind of make it their own and it's going to be different and and fun from you know a different fun version from the original one that jumps out right right away to me not so much because they just completely make it their own but um five finger death punch oh that's a good one i didn't even think about that one that is a good one because they always throw in like a slow we all gonna die we're all gonna die <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> or they change the lyrics of what city it's in or <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> I, that's a good one i like that what about you aaron the first one that comes to mind in terms of a band that regularly records and releases covers uh, a band that is dear to my heart that i hope we eventually talk about is local h and they did the the most prominent track that comes to mind was they did a cover of lord uh team was the track <laughs> and it was fantastic like because they'll take <laughs> they'll take pop songs or 80s tracks and stuff and they'll just make them like muscular and and it's just one dude with a guitar and then a drummer but they just have like this attitude to stuff and it sounds great and so and they've released a couple uh i think they're called uh, local h's awesome mixtape they've released two volumes of that full of their covers so if you want to check out a band that that also does that well like deftones that's one another one that comes to mind just because we've been talking about them in this episode was um from an album that was influential in my earlier rock taste as pod's fundamental elements of south town where they covered u2's bullet the blue sky yeah great cover yeah i agree with them yeah it was a very good cover of u2 and so i had to give them a lot of credit for that those are the first two things that come to mind and we've we established earlier (laughs) um in a previous episode I'm not a fan of most of Weezer's covers that much because I think they pretty much are just um, the original songs by and large. Yeah. Yeah. So if we're going for, you know, bands that I don't care if you make covers, that would be them. Oh, oh, I got one for you. Rage Against the Machine, who now we've talked about them in multiple episodes as well. Uh, the Ghost of Tom Joad, uh, Maggie's Farm. I mean, they had the whole album Renegades. How I Could Just Kill a Man. Yeah, I mean, and and in fairness renegades i'll definitely go on record as saying it's their weakest album but that doesn't mean that there weren't some great tracks on it yeah another band that since you had mentioned local h and how they're able to cover any kind of song another band that popped into my head was hailstorm hailstorm's in the mm. same thing they, they're they able to cover classic rock songs modern uh, rock songs as well as pop songs they covered uh daft punk's get lucky and 
completely made it their own. It was, <laughs> it was fantastic. Another band that I, I kind of like their covers. I, I think that they do a good job. Um, there are a couple that kind of sound similar to the original here and there, but I think Blackstone Cherry is a, is great at covering bands. I know everybody's favorites kind of disturbed. They're, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the Serbs covering band songs. I, I will say that like I learned like certain ones of theirs, like Shout was fantastic. I guess more so I like when Disturbed covers eighties songs. Shout Land of Confusion. Yes. That's when I like Disturbed. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the Sound of Silence. I think it, it just no. was meh. <laughs> Their cover of I still haven't found what I'm looking for is okay, but it really didn't change the original too much. Uh one of my favorite bands that I I've just thoroughly enjoyed their covers because they're so unique is system of a down. Hmm. <laughs> In fact, you can listen to their covers and not even realize their cover songs. Like there's a cover of the Metro, which was originally done by a band called Berlin, which mm-hmm. if you listen to the original song and then listen to system of downs version, you wouldn't know it's the same song. And then system of a down also covered black Sabbath Snowblind, and they sped it up. Black Sabbath's version of Snowblind is about five and a half minutes long. System of Down's version is four minutes long. They literally sped it up so fast that they cut the song down to a minute and a half. (laughs) (laughs) And I think the greatest rock artist of all time, and this may surprise you, the greatest, in my opinion, rock artist of all time, which I'm not even a huge fan of their artist work, but there is no doubt in my mind that they, when they cover a song, they make it their own. And it is always, always good. Always quite impressive. Marilyn Manson. Okay. That's a good one. I did not see that coming. <laughs> yes. Well, and if you think about all the cover songs that he's done, I mean, it is quite a work. Tainted Love. Personal Jesus. Yes. I mean, there's just so many fantastic cover songs that he did and still is doing. Sweet Dreams Are Made of These. Yes. Yeah. So that would probably be, in, in my opinion, probably one of the greatest cover artists of all time. Just so many good ones and just fantastic cover songs. I'll throw in another uh, band as well, Nirvana. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. Covers of Meat Puppets. and uh... I mean, half of Unplugged was was cover songs, and Unplugged is a legendary album. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's almost all Meat Puppets songs, though. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they've got other good covers, too. I know they do um, uh, Molly's Lips, and The Money Will Roll Right In is on their Live at Reading, and I think that's a fantastic song. Well, I think Dave Grohl carried that over into Foo Fighters because they Foo Fighters did one of my favorite covers of all time, which is Pink Floyd's Have a Cigar. Mm-hmm. And that one features Brian May of Queen. It's just it's such an awesome cover because it, it doesn't sound anything like the original, but it keeps the original intact. And another Pink Floyd cover that I absolutely love. And I was talking about this the other day, surprisingly, because it's a band that just fell off the face of the earth, but they covered Run Like Hell by Pink Floyd. And it, it was great. If you ever get a chance to listen to Kitty's cover of Run Like Hell. Oh, man. <laughs> he went there and said, Kitty. I did. <laughs> I did. I forgot about that. Band. Bring it back to the, the 90s. You know, I bring it all back. Bring it all back. Circle, full circle. And and just populating the mess out of the Spotify playlist this week. We just <laughs> It's going to be covers galore. <laughs> oh, man. Because I, I, I got more. I got more. I I mentioned them last week, but um, Brass Against is one I like. They because they they debuted as a cover band and now they started branch out into their own tracks but they covered stuff in a way that felt so true to the spirit of the original usually covering things like rage against the machine and those angsty usually political bands and they brought that same fire and energy which as we've we've gone on record before to say how much we have missed rage it was a great substitute and here's another one since the itch has seen them live multiple times um i can't speak as much to studio versions because not that many come to mind but a band that um was always fun to see who they would cover live it was breaking benjamin yeah that's good they covered tool now and then nirvana they did cover nirvana and to me that was the adventure of seeing them live part of it was wondering who they were going to try to cover that time they would mostly do a medley of it though yeah that's what i was about to say now they do like a medley i believe one time we saw them and they they teased playing thunderstruck i think it was yeah uh and they, they didn't finish up but they got the crowd rear and ready to go and then they're like ah never mind <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like i hate you guys stop that <laughs> <laughs> another band that kind of comes to mind because they almost made it big on cover songs if you think about it was non-point because their cover of in the air yeah. tonight um they've done a, a couple really good ones in the air tonight evil ways uh billy jean 
they they have some really good cover songs as well. It's pretty it is impressive. I, I enjoy hearing a good cover and I enjoy making cover compilations. Here's a little thing. I don't know if you guys know about me, but um, well, there's there's one thing you do know about me is that um, I enjoy a good acapella cover of something because <laughs> <laughs> yep. we've played those before of, of various voices only versions of our favorite rock songs. I also <laughs> occasionally like to do that with uh, like punk, like I'll take like punk covers of things. Those can be so much fun especially driving, let me just tell you. But yeah, I mean, cover collections, there's there's something special about that. Maybe one week we'll create a, a playlist specifically dedicated to that. Probably not right now, but uh, I think between the three of us, we could come up with a pretty epic list. Yeah, we're in the process of getting that together, to be honest, before uh, the pandemic. <laughs> it's on the agenda, and uh, hopefully, hopefully you'll get to complete that sometime pretty soon. Yes. So that'll wrap it up for the Itch's tribute and celebration to 20 years of the Deftones' White Pony. And um, as we've mentioned a number of times here, we're going to have a well-stacked Spotify playlist. We would encourage you to check out. Go to Spotify. You can search for the Itch Rock Matters. And uh, we update that every week, uh, mostly with songs or artists that we mentioned on the show, sometimes with some fun little stuff that we come up with on our own or just inside jokes. We also love to interact with people online. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter, either one, at ItchRocks, I-T-C-H-R-O-C-K-S. I know that's you guys' favorite part. Um, <laughs> or you can email us, ItchRocks, at gmail.com. We also greatly appreciate ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. This will be a broken record situation, as you've probably already heard from a thousand other podcasts as well. but. That's how you get the eyes or the ears, as it were. And uh, and so we appreciate that. We've gotten quality feedback that we have we have taken to heart so far. And, and we are very encouraged by that. So, yeah, engage with us. Tell people about us. Check us out. Exactly. If you wanted to add to our show, maybe give us a topic or if you have any kind of criticism feedback, uh, please reach out to us. Let us know. We are more than willing to listen to that feedback and listen to your ideas and, and incorporate them into the show if necessary. Uh, we did that with music uh, when we were doing our radio show, and we'll be more than willing to do it with our podcast because we want to make a product that people want to listen to and and uh, tailor it to those people who are actually listening. Exactly. So thank you very much for listening. My name is Dan. I'm Casey. And I'm Aaron. And we are The Itch. This show is called Rock Matters. And until next week, rock on. Dan, that's not a funny story. That's murder. <laughs>